Amen. Let's take our, take our Bibles, if you will, and your copy of the Word of God and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let me get there myself. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. And while you're, if you're already there and in an effort to keep the Word of God preeminent, I ask that you please stand. Let's, let's do some reading here. Look at verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 1. We are standing, of course, to honor the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten in, into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now please jump over to chapter 2 and look also at verse number 5. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, every man. Verse 10 says, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed shamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, and in the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again behold I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil." and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them also that are tempted. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your only begotten into the world uh, to, to become man, to become our sins, to take this, this, this dire straits that we're in and, and, and take it to the, to, the, to the grave, leave it there, conquering death, disease, and all those things, Lord. We just give you praise and honor, Lord, for coming out of that grave, Lord. We know that Christmas is required for Easter to ever even happen. And, Lord, we're so thankful 
that you are mindful of man, that you are mindful of your creation, and that you are mindful of, of me and everyone here that's, that's here this morning, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask you to bless this time. Lord, speak to us in a mighty way as we've prayed many times already. Lord, meet with us in a very special way, Lord, that we know that we've been with Jesus this morning. We know that your Holy Spirit is among us, Lord God. Father, we, we want to please you this morning. We want to lift up our voices, our hearts, all that we are. Lord, we want to give it to you. And Lord, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So here we are in, in the Christmas spirit, if you will. Please be seated. In the Christmas season. And uh, as we move closer to that actual day of Christmas, to the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, this passage this just seemed kind of fitting to me. <clears throat> and quite honestly, in, in my prayer for where God would have me go on this, this Sunday, this December 18th, um, as we travel through, of course, the New Testament, we started in Genesis. We've been preaching through almost every book as we went through. Um, <clears throat> but I was actually reminded of this passage here, specifically verse number 17 of chapter 2, listening to somebody else's sermon. I often try to do that on a regular basis. I, I, I read and study God's Word, of course, but I also try to glean from what I've deemed trustworthy resources uh, there's only about five or six people that I'm really, truly comfortable with. I read more than that, uh, about, but about five or six. And one of those five or six, um, uh, that individual was preaching a message, and he just alluded to this passage there in verse chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, um, which states, In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. And as I went to that passage, I didn't even listen to the rest of the sermon, closed the sermon out, got my Bible, and the Lord just, you know, sometimes as I, as I prepare messages, there are some that take me every day of the week to get to Sunday. I mean, lots of effort, but there are some that take like 20 minutes. And this is one of those, a little bit more than 20 minutes, but I'm, talk, I'm talking about just for the outline and the direction that God's given us. And God just spoke to me with this verse here, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. And I truly believe that the Lord just used that verse, that man, this verse, to get us to Hebrews 1 and 2. Now, truly, there are many passages throughout the New Testament that could be used for a source passage for Christmas, right? There's, there's Luke chapter 2, there's Matthew 1, there's Galatians 4, there's, there's a number of passages, Galatians even chapter 3. And there are specifically ones that talk about His birth, that being Luke chapter 2. But there are other ones that don't specifically talk about maybe Christmas, but they give us some details like, like Hebrews 1 and 2 and many other parts of Hebrews, how significant Christmas really is. It gives us, as we see on our slide here, the wonder of Christmas. It lets us know how wonderful Christmas is. And I just want to jump right into the text this morning and share with you what I believe God has given me. Look at verse number 5 again of Hebrews chapter 1. The author of Hebrews is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament, but it is here a reference to, of course, Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, very simple but very powerful, our first thought this morning is that Christ did not begin at Christmas. Christ did not begin in the manger. He did not begin in the womb. Verse 6 in that chapter also tells us that, the, that God brought the first begotten into the world. 
He brought the first begotten into the world. Verse 8 says, Unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. This is God speaking to the Son, and He calls Him God. Friends, the wonder, one of the greatest wonders of Christmas is that Jesus is eternal. He did not begin in Bethlehem. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 12, and that passage tells us that the Word was made flesh. And then in a very unique dialogue, I like listening to those dialogues between Jesus and, and the Pharisees there. And in John 8, 58, Jesus said it to the Pharisees, Verily, verily, I say unto you, y'all remember the passage, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Clearly identifying himself as the God who spoke to Moses through the burning bush. I am. And just a few short hours before the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Before the world was. Jesus both uh, opened and closed the book of Revelation with a phrase similar to this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is our Savior, our God in the flesh, if you will. It's important for every Christian and even for the world to know that Christmas was not the beginning of Jesus. If it were, then we're celebrating the wrong thing. Jesus is very God in the flesh. I think you can separate just about every faith in the world on who they say Jesus is. Is He God in the flesh or is He just another man? He is God in the flesh. That's a wonder of Christmas. Philippians 2.7 states that as God, Jesus made Himself of no reputation. He emptied Himself, if you will, the, the famous kenosis passage. He emptied Himself and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It's unique. We look at Genesis chapter 1 that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and then now God becomes a man and made in the image and likeness of man. This is what makes Christmas Christmas. Jesus is God. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son? He said it only to Jesus, and not even one of us, only to Jesus. Friends, God gave us his only son, which brings us very quickly this morning right to our second point. Look at verse 6 again of chapter 1. The Bible states again that God brought the first begotten into the world. He brought him into the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. So our second thought this morning is that Christ brought the, uh, the begotten. Think about that passage there in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 again. For unto us a child is born. A child is born. God is born into humanity, but a son wasn't born. A son was given. God gave His only begotten Son. Jesus, again, was born into humanity, but as eternal God, He was and is God the Son. He was God the Son who was given to man by God the Father. Again, if we miss that, if we miss the true importance of Christianity, whether it's today or importance of Christmas and Christianity for that matter, we, we miss that truth that God is all man or that Jesus is all God and all man. We miss it all. We miss it all. The great wonder of Christmas is that God gave His only begotten Son. I have sons. I've not given my sons. 
And to, to, be, to be honest, when my oldest son, my oldest son is named after me, his name is Billy, and when he was, well, he calls himself Will now. He's, he's mature. Um, he's, he's a good man. But when he, when he first left to, to leave, to go into, into the world, to take on the world by himself, that was difficult for us. And we, you parents that have been there, it's difficult, right? It's not easy. And then at the same time, God was working in our heart to call us into the ministry. So get this now. My son is joining the military from Tennessee, and we're leaving to go to Germany. But we left like three months before he did. That was not easy. And I remember struggling with those things. And I remember driving to a, a, a river or a creek or something like that near my sister's house. I needed to get away. I needed to spend some time in prayer. And God just took me to that passage there in Luke chapter 2. And the thought came to mind, are you really going to talk to me about giving your son away? You're really going to argue that you don't want to go to the ministry because you want to be with your son? Look what I've done. I've given my only begotten son. What a great wonder it is that God gave Jesus Christ to us. But of no less wonder was that His Son became flesh. The created, or the eternal God, became created man. The eternal God became created man. There are all kinds of of attacks on the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you look, there's going to be an attack on the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. He is all God. And he is all man. Y'all have heard me say this maybe a number of times, but he was as much God as, he, as if he were never man, and he is as much as man as if he were never God. H.A. Ironside used to say that quite, quite often. But he is all God and all man. Jump over to chapter 2, look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7. Writing of man, the author of Hebrews relays kind of his own curiosity, if I can put it that way, about God's relationship with humanity by saying in verse 7, Thou madest him, speaking of man, speaking really of himself even, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Think of Adam. Thou put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under subjection. So the him here, again, represents all of humanity, man, woman, boy, child, all of us. And in that, we clearly see that the first Adam here, Adam and Eve, was the first representative who was crowned with glory and honor. Adam was crowned with glory and honor. He was created to be over all of this creation. But then the author of Hebrews concludes that with this phrase, but now... We see not yet all things put under Him. So we don't see man crowned with glory anymore. We don't see man crowned with the honor that He was once given. We don't see man with all things in subjection under His feet. What in the world happened? Well, we know what happened, don't we? We know that Genesis chapter 3 happened. Sin happened. Our rebellion happened. Death happened. You see, God created humanity with an enormous potential. greater than we can understand, and with a great responsibility to rule and subdue all of creation, but through sin, we squandered that responsibility. We let go of that inheritance. We took the deed of the planet and we gave it to the devil. We rejected it. So the ownership of death and disease, crime and violence, wars and even religious wars, it's not God's. No, that dishonor falls squarely on the shoulders of man. We are responsible for the death and disease and crime and violence and wars. 
You know, and in fact, when we hear of those things, maybe in the news, we hear about the, that deep wickedness. We hear about suicide. We hear about things happening to children. We hear about all the wickedness in this world. We are not to be surprised that man could sink to such depravity. For all these things are becoming of man. You ever think about this thought? Sin becomes us. That's just who it is. That's just the truth of the matter. Sin is becoming of me. Instead of inheriting righteousness, we inherit wretchedness. And we prefer darkness rather than light. So we don't see man, as the author of Hebrews is talking about, we don't see man leading in righteousness with all things put under him, but we do see a man. We see Jesus. We see Jesus in verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Get that now, crowned with glory and honor the way man was that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for some men, a handful of men, no, every man. You see, when the shepherds, on that first Christmas morning, when they came and looked at the manger, when they saw that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, they were in the presence of Almighty God. But they were also in the presence of a humble but sinless, approachable child of Abraham. They were in the presence of the last Adam who came to regain what the first Adam lost. God hath sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. You see, the eternal Son of God, I mean, I know we hear that a lot. We're in Christianity a lot. We hear it. Maybe we've been in Sunday school since we were, you know, yay tall. But think about that thought for a moment. The eternal Son of God was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death. You know, God cannot be killed. Nor can God die. He's never going to expire. But He became man so that He could. I mean, think about that. I'm going to become man to do what I can't do, what's impossible for me to do. I'm going to become man so that I can do it. And it's suffering and dying for us. God was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He became man so that He could die for man. The wonder of Christmas is that Jesus is the only begotten of God, but He is also the begotten of man. And He was the firstborn unto eternal life. The only begotten became the first begotten, so that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Which brings us, as we continue on here, to verse number 10 of chapter 2. Verse 10 of chapter 2 says, For it became Him. This passage is very interesting to me. It's difficult. It became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Look at this next thought here. Christmas was becoming of Christ. Becoming of Christ. You see, because of sin, you and I, man, have lost the ability to rule and subdue creation the way God intended us to rule and subdue this creation. We are under the condemnation of death. Look at uh, John chapter 3 talks about that we are already under condemnation. 
Yes, we still bear the responsibility of having all things put in subjection under us. We still have the responsibility of stewardship, but we are no longer crowned with the glory and honor. We gave that up. Nor do we have the ability to rule in a way that that brings God glory. But in all of this, and even more, in man's, even in man's deep depravity, in his strong rebellion against his Creator, there is still one redeeming truth that changes everything. God is mindful of man. What a thought. Again, Hebrews 2.6 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? I mean, look, God created Adam and Eve. God created humanity. We rejected against God. We brought in sin, death, and all these things that we deal with today. God could have just started all over. But He was mindful of man. He still still loved man. Even with all of that, God still loved us. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Who am I that you're mindful of me, Lord? So God, in His deep mercy... And his love for man looked down on humanity and his heart broke because of the situation man had brought upon himself. From eternity past, God God knows that the only remedy for man, the only way to elevate man back to his forfeited position, being crowned with glory and honor, was for God to become man. I like the, the thought, it's not, it's not anti-Scripture, the words are not in Scripture, but God could not redeem what He did not become. So He became us so that He could redeem us. The only way to elevate man back to that position was to become man. And by doing so, Jesus endured all that there is to endure by being a man. The weariness, the hunger, the thirst, the backaches, the the dirt under the fingernails, the splinters. He he endured it all. In fact, verse 10 states that it was becoming of him to do so. Even the suffering of death, it became him. The author of Hebrews is saying that it's just like God to become man. That's just like God to do something like that. And knowing who he is, it's just like Jesus to be robed in flesh, becoming man is becoming of God. But think about that for a moment. I like that that song. It's just like Jesus to wash my sins away. It's just like God to become man. What a thought. Becoming man is becoming of God. Earlier we were reminded that death and depravity become us. Sin is becoming of us. But salvation is becoming of God. It became him and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It's just like God to suffer as a man for the sins of man in order to bring many men to glory and into a saving relationship with the God of all creation. It's just like God. That God will be made flesh perfectly fits who he is. It perfectly fits who he is. Christmas becomes him. What is becoming of you? What is becoming of you? What becomes you? As a follower of Christ, what's fitting for you? You know, when, when my father and, and uncle were, were young, they were inseparable. 
But as the many years went by, life just got in the way and decades just passed like days. And well into their 40s, I was with my father and an opportunity arose that put them in the same city. My father called him from those old school ancient phone booths. Um, but he didn't recognize my brother's, my uncle's, his brother's voice on the phone. Didn't recognize it at all. They had both grown up together in the South. And my uncle had been living up North for decades. And he just didn't understand the accent. Or he understood it, but he didn't. There's no way. This is my little brother, Jimmy. But remembering that my father always enjoyed a cup of coffee, my uncle said, the coffee will be ready when you get here. And that was all my father needed to hear. He's like, all right, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I guess even if it wasn't his brother, he had a cup of coffee waiting on him. But in in this simple analogy, my uncle knew that a cup of coffee in my father's hand was becoming of him. Very simple, right? What's becoming of you? Would it be a cup of coffee in your hand or maybe a bottle of whiskey? Would it be a Bible, a pack of cigarettes, your phone scrolling through hours of social media? What becomes you? What is most like you? If someone knocked on your car window during lunch, would they be surprised to see you reading your Bible? Or would it fit your character? What becomes you? Where would the people who know you best expect you to be on Sunday morning? Would they call, oh, that's right, he's in church. What, you go to church? What becomes you? What about our midweek? What about just the church in general? Are you known as somebody who thinks the church is important or is it just a check the block? I'm going to worship whenever I feel like worshiping because God did something for me at one time. What becomes you? And more importantly, and, and certainly most convicting when I was going through this, when God looks down at my life, what behavior, what he say fits you? What is most like you from God's point of view? He sees all. We only see the fruit. He sees the inside. When he looks down and he understands the thoughts in your mind, what thoughts are becoming of you? And what thoughts, if God could be surprised, what thoughts would surprise him? What's most like you and what's not? And know that wherever we are in our walk with God, if we are his children, if we've had that moment in time when we've, by faith, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. You know, we, we are all wretched. We all need deliverance. We will all uh, live and separate from this world in a, and burn in the devil's hell if we don't accept Christ as our Savior. That is the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We move from the gospel. This, what's the point? We trust Christ. And all of it's a miracle, mind you. But wherever we are in our walk with God as believers... God brought us to glory and salvation through suffering, through His suffering, including His death on the cross. I mean, His humiliation started way before the cross. You know, there was never a scenario, if we think about how how Christmas is becoming of Him, there was never a scenario where God would not become man. I mean, sometimes we, maybe in in my youth, I would think, man, I'm so glad God chose to send Him. There was never an option where He wasn't going to send his son because it's becoming of him never a scenario where God would not become man because that would be unbecoming of God and our salvation is possible because becoming man became him it becomes him I think this is one of the great wonders of Christmas Christmas was becoming of Christ and then stay there in verse number 
or chapter number 2, look at verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And then jump down to verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. God was behooved to become man. Christ was behooved to be incarnate. This last point this morning is just as significant, it's just as wonderful as the first three, and I think it demonstrates just a little bit more about how special Christmas truly is. For example, the Greek word used for the two words behooved him there in the language there is ophilio or apilio or something like that. And it means to owe something or to be indebted to someone. That's what that word means. Now, we've already spoken about how God was mindful enough of man that he was highly mindful enough of man that he was highly dissatisfied with man not being crowned with glory and honor, even though we brought that upon ourselves. He was mindful enough of man that he became man so that man could reign again with Christ, with God. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10 states that Christ has made us unto our God kings and priests, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You ever think about what it means when we say he is king of kings and lord of lords? We're the kings. He's made us kings. It's all him, not us. He made us kings and priests, but let's be brutally honest here as we go through this. Our reigning with God requires more than God becoming man. As significant as that is, the world needed more than the manger because there was still the problem of sin and death. If God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, which He no doubt did, but then He just returned to heaven like Enoch and Elijah, we would still be yet dead in our sins. And obviously, knowing this beforehand, God not only reduced Himself to put on flesh in a way where He remained all God and all man, that's the definition of Christmas, but additionally, as verse 17 states, He did so in order to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And because there was the serious problem of death... He also himself, verse 17, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That's the devil. You see, the truth of the matter is that Christ did more than just become man, as if that were not significant, but he became the sin of man. 2 Corinthians 5.21 states that God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And by becoming the sin of man, He paid the penalty of that sin, which is death. But after three days, He brought destruction to death, to the devil, through His resurrection. And the motivation behind all of that is that it was incumbent upon God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. God took it as His own responsibility to redeem us. 
God considered it His duty, His duty to become the Son of Man so that He could save man. That's what it means when the Bible says it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren. He considered our debt His responsibility. Our depravity behooved Him. I mean, the whole of it, the creation, the condescension, the incarnation, the humiliation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of it was considered by God a debt he owed to us. I mean, think about that. A debt he owed man. Not under any circumstance, from any angle, could God ever be held responsible for our sin. But yet he took it all. Jesus paid it all. He considered our redemption his obligation. I don't know how that sits with you, but that is flat out amazing to me. Christ was behooved to become man, to die as man, to become a sin, to redeem us. It was his obligation. He didn't say, I didn't cause that. I'm not going to fix that. He says, I didn't cause that, but I'm going to fix it. It's my responsibility. I created them. I'm going to redeem them. Jesus paid it all. Christ was behooved to be incarnate. The same question we asked earlier about what becomes us applies here also, I think. What motivates us? What behooves us? What do we consider an obligation? You know, contrary to what we deserve, it behooved God to be made like unto us. So to what do we obligate ourselves for the God who deserves our all? The answer is just that, all. Our all. There's no room for a little bit of service. God demands all of us. He gave all of himself. Why could he expect anything less from us? But that's usually what he gets. Am I wrong? I don't think so. Even for every one of us, the best of us, we should give our all. If we were to stand in a court today and they were accused, some of us, of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? I sure hope so. What becomes us, what, what, do we, what do we obligate ourselves to do? From salvation to sanctification to full surrender, He is worthy of our very all. I, was, I, was, I learned a long time ago when I was probably <clears throat> in my late 20s, him hawing, if you will, that's a Tennessee word for vacillating, I guess. <laughs> him hawing around whether or not I want to make God important in my life. And I just made, I just chose to make him important. I was already saved. I've been saved for a while, but just not serious about my, my behavior. But I'm, I made an appointment. It's like, you know what? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be all in. This is going to be the most important thing in my life. People at, people at my work are going to say, why don't you just get out and go to church all the time? Well, I could if I would. And now I do. <laughs> I did get out and go to church all the time. But this should be our all. This is God's idea, not man's. He is worthy of every moment of our life. He didn't stagger. He didn't stumble. He walked all the way to the cross with us on his mind. He's worthy of our, of our all. And our, all of us, all of who we are as individuals, should be our forever gift to the God who is Christmas. Jesus is the very Son of God. The Son of God was made flesh. 
The reconciliation of our kingship is just like Jesus, and our need for redemption behooved Him to act on our behalf. What truths could ever carry a greater significance? There is no greater truth. What truths could ever be more wonderful than Jesus? The eternal Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become eternal sons of God. Truly, Jesus is the wonder of Christmas. He Himself is the gift. You give all kinds of gifts this Christmas, you missed that one, you missed it all. God the Son is the only gift from God the Father that makes sons of men sons of God. And this is the greatest wonder ever imagined. It is the greatest story ever told. From Christmas to Easter, the story of Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, becoming man in order to redeem man. This whole book, from creation to redemption, is the story of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. Do you know him? I hope that you do. Let's, let's go to him in a word of prayer.